You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. And welcome to Morph Mom Moments, another great night of radio, great night of a co-host, just so much fun, such an exciting guest, and I can't thank you all for listening tonight. Um, before I get into uh, the suspense, will last for a little bit, before I tell you who's here, I just want to give you a quick update or an, and a quick explanation to those of you who are new tonight about what it is you've just gotten yourselves into. So my name is Kathleen Smith. And I founded Morph Mom about four years ago. And it's, for those of you who have no idea what I'm saying, it's morphmom.com. And you can go onto the website and kind of see what it's all about. Um, about five, about four years ago, I had sort of went through a bit of a, a funky period where I'd raised my three kids and couldn't figure out what to do. I'd been a prosecutor 14 years prior to that. They didn't want me back. Apparently, I wasn't as good as I thought I had been four juniors prior to that and really couldn't figure out what to do. Kind of lost my confidence, contacts, and who I was. And after a bit of a, you know, internal sort of debate about what to do and where to begin and what to, I I thought, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, why didn't I go out and find the women? And there were so many women around the world, around the country, who have done something and in turn wanted to pay it forward and share it with others who were in the position that I was in at the time. So I began the website, morphmom.com. I traveled the country and I interviewed over 800 women all over the country telling their stories, how they did it, the steps that they took. And I always even felt more importantly, what didn't work, you know, the failures along the way, the obstacles along the way and how they overcame those obstacles and whether it meant taking a different direction 
or figuring out a different way to do what they intended to do, how they did it. And I also include, it's a video interview so that you never feel lonely watching this. It's their story and you feel, you feel you're not alone in this whole journey because many times it's a, it's very hard to overcome that part of it. Um, since then, over the course of the four years, I started, I have a column on Huffington Post where I share these amazing stories as well. I travel the country and I host cocktail parties. And if you go on morefum.com, you can find out when we're coming to a city near you and what we're going to do. Um, we host classes, not really classes. I'd say more of like a casual seminar where we kind of sit around and talk about, you know, who, what excites you? When is the last time someone actually asked you about you? And, um, coming soon, which we're very excited. The date will be released very soon. We're going to start our very first Morph Mom speaker series. And hopefully, if that goes well, we'll be taking that around the country as well. And then, now, we have the radio show. Um, so without further ado, and without having to listen to me talk about Morph Mom anymore, <laughs> let's get to the people you really want to hear from. First of all, I'm thrilled to have my co-host tonight, Julie Shoemaker. Thank you for coming. And by the way, she's my very first Morph Mom. When I started this venture... It was terrifying. And a lot of people sort of rolled their eyes at me and said, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? You can't do a website. You can't do this. And I called Julie. And within 30 seconds, she said, yep, I'm coming. She came to my house. And we practiced how I would do the interview and what worked and what didn't work. My dogs were running through the video. My kids were running through the video. It was mayhem. But I'm very proud to say, as my first morph mom four years ago, Julie Shoemaker has done what she always wanted to do. She's taken acting classes. She got her, she figured out what she wanted to do. She's starting commercials and she's really begun an entirely new path. And it's very, very exciting after raising three kids. So Julie, it's an honor to have you here tonight well, as well. Thank you for having me, Kathleen. And um, I'm very grateful to you as well. And uh, just your friendship and just this whole thing that you've done and created to inspire the women around you. Um you know, when somebody tells you you can't do something, it's and you know puts that negative thought into your mind. You sometimes believe it, and uh, having uh, other like-minded women uh, encourage you—it's just—it means the world. So, thank you for saying that. So, hopefully, it's, it's out there. <laughs> no, I really, somebody. I credit, I credit you a lot for everything that I've done, and um, you know, I took the acting classes and. You know, I did the work while the kids were young, always thinking about what am I going to do next? Because um, I heard Derek Jeter talking today and, and, and he's talking about his retirement. And he said, like, his biggest fear in life was not knowing what he was going to do next. And I think no matter what point you are in your life, whether you're graduating from college or your mother whose kids are leaving college or whatever, um, you know, even as you become an older you know, more seasoned women, woman at like the age of 60 or 70, you know what, you still have to get up and do something every day. And um, we're too smart to just sit on a beach or not that there's anything wrong with that. But, <laughs> That's right. You know, to each his own. And, you know, that leads me to now our guest tonight, when you said about the support and the encouragement. And our guest tonight is Kelly Schwartz. And I have to say, one of the kindest men I've ever met. And so met excited to meet Kelly. I mean, just for me, um, just being around other people in the industry and hearing about their, you know, all the things that they've done, it makes me feel like, okay, 
you know, I can do that or he's inspiring <laughs> me. And, you know, when I, I we met Kelly and, and let me explain to you, actually, let me just give you a quick rundown. And this doesn't even cover half of Kelly's accomplishments. Kelly is an Emmy nominated filmmaker, screenwriter, entrepreneur, author. He is uh, responsible for at least five feature films, documentaries, wow. music videos, commercials. And does Kelly have any kids? Yes. He do- oh. Kelly has a three-year-old daughter <laughs> okay. on top of it. Kelly is at least two. At least two. Oh, at least two. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Um, co-founder <laughs> of the Indie Film Factory, which is video production, film and media production studio. And what I love about it is the tagline is for empowering filmmakers and independent producers which is very much sort of Morph Mom's thing, sort of empowering, hopefully empowering, and inspiring others to sort of do what they want to do and give them that forum to do it. But most recently, which is so exciting, is Kelly is going to discuss tonight not only his novel, Alien Domicile, but the movie it's based upon, Alien Domicile, which he wrote and directed. So without further ado, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah. No, Kathleen, thank you. And Julie, it's, it's great to meet you, you know, via, via phone call here today. Yes. But no, first off, listen, I, I am a huge fan of Morph Mom. You know, when we connected, you know, how, however long ago it was, you know, the first thing I thought was, you know, I want to watch these videos myself. You know, <laughs> I, I was raised, I was raised by a single mom, you know, and my sister and I, you know, we, we seen my mom's transformation from being, you know, kind of a house mother to, to a career woman. My mom still works. She's worked 30 years for the job, that she, the company that she's worked for, and she's still working. And, and she has no intention of slowing down. That's and great. And so to me, it's, it's, I, I connected quite quickly to, to the, the, the message that I think Morph Mom is bringing. So I'm, I'm very happy to be a part of this. Well, I, it's such an honor. And as I was saying before, like Julie was mentioning how important, and, and you don't even realize what that can do for someone. Just a little bit of support one day, just a little bit of encouragement. That tiny little bit, maybe one minute out of your day can make such a difference in somebody's life. And when I spoke with Kelly, we met through a mutual friend. And um, as I was explaining to Julie earlier, I was starting to make sort of a, even though I do this for everybody else, it's very hard for me to do it, to put myself out there. But I made sort of a little mini video of Morph Mom trying to explain it to others to sort of, you know, expand our audience and to try and help more people. And I called Kelly and I sort of began to describe it. And within minutes of our conversation, I felt like he, like Kelly, it meant so much to me that the support that you gave, how you understood the mission and then incorporated that you had a three-year-old daughter and that's why it meant. And so that for me, it, it meant so much to me. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about your journey and how you got to where you are. Like, did you start out as an actor or did you, um, you know, st- study screenwriting or, or, you know, what got you where you are now? Because to me, you got... No, I was saying, yeah, I mean, it's been a journey. It's been a, a long process. I mean, I didn't grow up with wealthy parents. You know, again, I, like I was saying, I, I had a, a single mom who was taking care of us and raising us kids and right. you know i've seen the struggles growing up that you know a lot of people face you know in, in this country and so when i went and i had the choice to decide i was always kind of creative i wanted to be my big dream was becoming an animator i wanted to be a like oh. a walt disney animator that really? was like fabulous. my dream fabulous yeah and then where did you grow up yeah so i so i started illustrating you know i was, I was a, I did illustrations all the way through like you know junior high school and high school and i took art classes and then when it came time for college, 
I, I discovered I really wasn't that good of an illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there were far better people than me out there doing it. And, and at that time, you know, the, the schools that we wanted, you know, the schools that I wanted to get into were, were places like CalArts, which is in uh, Valencia, California. It's, it's pretty much the Disney school. And uh, there were a couple other really prestigious art schools, uh, one in course in, in, in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I couldn't get into those schools because yeah. they were very, you know, obviously the, the, the competition was really, really high. But I just and, and where I were you living? Wh- what was your hometown? I'm from, I'm from Las Vegas. Oh, oh, you are? Oh, I didn't realize you were originally from there. And by the way, for those listening tonight, Kelly's calling in from Las Vegas. And if anyone would like to join the conversation, it's 212-631-7553. Or we could just take a road trip. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Come on down. I'll come to Las Vegas. Um, Oh, so go on. I'm sorry. 80 degrees, sunny. Uh, We've still got sun. You know, it's it's, it's beautiful. It was cold the last uh, couple days, but now it's back to business as usual so we're we're, we're excited to be outdoors today rub it in we're getting a snowstorm tomorrow morning so thanks so so where did you end up going to uh school so So i ended up going to well uh, i went to i got accepted to an art school in san francisco but i just did not have the the financial means to get there and of course i wasn't qualifying for any any scholarships and there's this really weird place what i discovered at that time was that my mother was making too much money I had like relatives that were making too much money that I couldn't get qualified for a for a student loan right. or for financial aid. Mm. But I, and, and I had a job working through high school, and apparently I was making too much money. Right. But I didn't think that. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking I need I need to figure out how I'm going to pay you know to go to this art school, which is you know tens close to almost twenty thousand dollars a year right. to go to, to this prestigious art school. How am I going to do that? And so I had to, of course. Um, I had to, of course, stay home, and, and I took classes at, uh, you know, UNLV, uh, which is the, the university here in Las Vegas, which is a great school. I'm not knocking it, but it wasn't where I wanted to be on my career path. And I, I ended up taking some, some, you know, they didn't have an animation class, uh, like a, a structure or animation degree. So I had, to, I had to kind of settle for the next best thing at that point, and that was film. And so I got into the film program. And, you know, I've always loved movies and all that mm-hmm. good stuff, but I'd never seen myself as a, as a guy sitting on, on set going, action. <laughs> right. And my whole life changed for me. I, I had volunteered uh, for a film festival, and I was, I was a, you know, a gopher. I was getting people coffee and driving around and getting people's mail and take, picking up their laundry. And they had told me, they said, hey, listen, we need you to take some mail to the post office. We need you know, get it out. On my way back, I noticed there was this production, this big production happening in a parking lot near the, the film festival office. And so I pulled over, I got out of my car, and I was just curious. And I walked over, and there was a guy on a radio, and he was sitting there, and uh, I, I walked up to him, and I, I was, this, this little voice in my head was like, what are you doing, what are you doing? <laughs> I was so scared to like walk up to this guy to ask him what they were doing. And then you know, there was almost like this other voice came into my head and said, just ask him, dummy. Go over there, Why are you, what are you scared of? I just ask him what they're doing. So I walked over, I, I introduced myself, the guy introduces his, his name was Ed, and I said, what are you guys doing? He said, oh, we're shooting this TV show for Warner Brothers. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And he goes, uh, what, are you, you know, what are you up to? I'm like, I don't know, I'm just interested. I'm a film student. He says, are you looking for like a job or something? And I said, I'd love to, love to have a job in, in production. And he says, here. And he pulled out a card, and he gave me this lady's card at Warner Brothers. And he said, call her. Her name's Gina. Tell her Ed told you to call. You do it right now. And I didn't even have a cell phone. I love it. <laughs> the I guy gives it. me his cell phone, and I, he, uh, he calls the number, and he gives me the, the phone, and this lady's like, you know, hello? And I was like, yeah, I'm Kelly, and I'm on Ed's phone, and, and he, she said to call you to, about a job. 
And she says, okay, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I, I don't know. She's like, well, would you be a production assistant? I said, uh, yes. She's like, can you come into the office today? And I said, yes. And then my rest of my life changed. It was From that point forward, I was in production. Really? Uh, but it was that person who took that little tiny second. That's right. I mean, the guy could have yeah. told me to bugger off, you know? Yeah, he yeah. It. He, he, he uh, you know, and I think that one moment definitely put me on a different course. Um, and it wasn't until I got a chance to be on set and I seen all of these moving parts on this big set. There was a scene uh, at the Fremont Street Experience in Las Vegas, you know, and they were this car chase, you know. The, so the scene is, you know, the car speeds in. There's a big gunfight and a big action scene. And I, and I, I had to go to the set to, to bring the director something. I think it was like his laundry or something from the <laughs> night before. And I, and I show up. They let me in. I'm standing behind the director. And I see all of this chaos happening. And, of course, there's crowds. There must have been hundreds of people that were standing around, you know, spectators watching the production being filmed. And I'm standing right next to the director. And he goes, you know, cut, cut. He goes, okay, everybody back to one. And everything just reversed. It was like within seconds, it was like the thing reset. It was like a big, giant toy truck set, you know. (laughs) This guy was like a kid playing with this big, giant toy truck set. And I said, you know what, I I don't know who this guy is, but I want his job. Whatever it takes, I want this guy's job. How old were you? I wanted to be a director. How old were you when that happened? Oh, man, I must have been about 22 years old. Wow. 22 years old. That's pretty yeah. cool. And, and that's the and that's so, got to be the greatest got feeling in the world when, you know, I mean, I know that's what I want for my children is for them to have that aha moment where, like, that's what I want to do. Because I think that's one of my greatest wishes for them, aside from good health, is that they're, I always say, let your, your uh, vocation be your vacation. And then you never need to, uh, y- you know, w- wander the world. Although, you know, whatever happens, happens. But, um, you know, you, you just wake up every day and you love what you're doing. And what greater gift is there than that? So, you know, what, what a great moment that must have been for you. Sure, absolutely. You know, and first of all, I love that analogy. Your vocation is your vacation. I love that. That is, I want to steal that from you. That sounds so amazing. Actually, no, I stole funny. it from the Geico uh, lizard, from the Geico commercial. He said, let your vacation. Um, <laughs> vocation be your vacation. You know, but at the end of the day, it's not even, I mean, so, you know, every everything that I have experienced in my career, you know, I've had ups, I've had downs, I've had very, very low points in my life. And I will be honest, I mean, even to this day, I am, I feel that, you know, I, I'm still, there's something that I'm, I'm striving to do and, and it's always, it drives me forward. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, I think that's the thing that they don't necessarily teach film, uh, at film schools or teach, uh, you know, students in general in life is that, you know, you may find that one thing that you love, but you know, there are, there are moments where sometimes the thing that you love hurts very much so. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's about how you digress from that and how you keep on track that I think is the most important thing. Um, you know, and now I have the opportunity to teach students. I teach, um, I teach occasionally. Actually, I teach once a semester. I teach a boot camp at our local film, our local film college, a film program. And, you know, I, I, I say first, right off the bat, I said, you know, this isn't necessarily a career path. It's a lifestyle choice. Filmmaking yeah. is a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And you have to live with it. You have to sleep with it. You have to eat with it. It, it can be good to you. It can be very bad to you sometimes. Yeah, it can probably day, be pretty it, grueling. Perfect. I mean... I just did a short film and, you know, I love your story about starting as a production assistant because here I am, you know, I'm a little bit older and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing student films, but you know what, you you, you got to do what you got to do to, you know, but, um, you know. So you, you never, you, you're never too old to start in this business. Yeah. Um, I, you, 
you, you may have to check the name, yeah. but the, the, the lady who, who created the, the, the documentary Blackfish, um, you know, she was a, she was a mom had taken her children to sea world and, you know, she's seen something she didn't like. And so she investigated it and it not only changed sea world, but it changed the entire conversation about how we, we keep animals contained. Yeah, yeah. And she became an activist for it. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're never, never too old, never too late to start. Uh, I don't believe in that. I think you just... Yeah, and also I like know, what you said you, about you weathering through the, the good times and the bad times. I mean, life throws you a lot of punches and, uh, you know, and sometimes those are the best learning moments. And, you know, we can take those bad times and um, put them towards our work and it can make us better and stronger and more successful in the long run. And... Um, yeah. So, so Kelly, I have a, so you went on. So you you made the phone call. You went to the set, and as this is progressing, what part of it were you drawn to or, at that time? Was it the directing? Because now, as those of you joining us, Kelly Schwartz literally is the does everything: filmmaking, screenwriting, <laughs> entrepreneur, producing, directing, writing. You name it, he does it. But I was curious as. So Kelly was saying, for, again, for those of you just joining us, that this sort of happened happenstance. And I think it, you know, I don't know, it, maybe it was, it was meant to happen that you went up and you spoke to someone who was kind and paid it forward. And you hope, and, and by the way, I have to say, Kelly in turn has paid it forward to me. And everybody out there needs to know that. No, I, and I mean that sincerely, Kelly. Kelly has done such a service to me and through Morph Mom and paying it forward. And I intend to do, you know, hopefully do the same through Morph Mom as well. But I think everybody out there should know that, that someone was kind to Kelly and in turn, Kelly has been kind to so many people as well. But, but going back to it, Kelly, so you end up on this set and you're watching a car chase and the gunfighting and you, and what are you drawn to though? Originally, is it the directing, the producing, the right, like what was it that sort of caught your creative, it's a great question, and, and it's something that's taken me almost all of my career up until this point to figure out. I mean, so it's something, you know, and, that, and that's the thing about it. You know, my, my, my passion, you know, you find out sometimes you, you have to listen to a little voice in your head because you, you, you don't really know what gravity, why you're attracted to something sometimes. And I think it's very important to, to spend some time really thinking about that because you can, at the end, save yourself a lot of distraction, a lot of detours. And so what I've discovered is it's the storytelling part that I was most attracted to, you know, and for me, film was something that I kind of stumbled into. I wouldn't say stumbled into, but it was something that I got into and it was a means for me to tell stories, you know, because through animation, well, why was I drawn to animation? It was a way for me to tell stories. And it wasn't until I got into my, you know, late thirties, I'm sitting there going, Hey, if I could, I could take a shot at writing a book because yeah. I don't have to worry about, you know, having a gaffer or having a, Right. You know, a camera and all the getting locations and all this expense. You know, and I look at that and I say, "Wow!" And so I wrote a book based on the movie. Uh, this was this alien domicile movie we have coming out in, at the end of the month. And you know, it was such a magical experience. It was me and my story, and it's great to be able to share that with people. But that's ultimately, I think, what, what it was drawing me all these years. But I didn't really figure that out until a little later. Right, right. So it's it's interesting because it's like the filmmaking um, ignited your passion to write and tell stories. So one thing led to another and, uh, you know, it all runs through the same vein. And all of a sudden you have this very multidimensional career. Um, so it's it's really kind of fascinating when that all on, unfolds and then 
you just find yourself so much, you know, so capable of so many things. And, and a lesson too, I think, and where don't shut any doors. Like one thing could lead you to many other things. If you're sort of like, like you said, did you like, well, I'm, did you ever expect that you would end up writing a book? No. <laughs> never, no. Okay, never fair enough. Life. I mean, first off, I'm not an avid, you know, reader. I don't sit on the weekends and read through books. It takes me like three months to get through a book. You know, right? I know people that will read a book in like a weekend. I, I have friends that say, "Oh, I did a quick read." You know, like seven hundred pages. I'm like, Are "You kidding me?" I know. Right? It takes me like six months to do that. Yeah, you know? my husband so I'm not gave me that, that book. So uh, too for big me, to I, I, I said, you know, "Too big I, to I read." read. I write screenplays. I mean, I can read screenplays fast, but when it came to novels. When it comes to novels, you know, even fiction or even nonfiction, it takes a while for me to get through it just to keep my, my focus. Yeah. So when, you, when you're when looking at me saying, hey, you're an author, it's almost strange <laughs> to hear that because I feel like, am I an imposter? Am I like, right, right. Am I, you know, I'm like, do I really belong to have, this, have that title under my name? It's just very surreal, very strange. It must be. I mean, I do think maybe some people are meant to read and some people are meant to write, you know, um, <laughs> like receptive language. Well, that makes people a lot better. Uh, you know? <laughs> I, I'm a terrible reader. It's my ADD. It just doesn't. So Kelly, that's when... right. yes, that's. Oh, I'm sorry. So you, so Kelly. Now, again, for those of us joining, for those of you joining us, Kelly has so many things out there. But Alien Domicile is a film that he and and correct me if I'm wrong that he wrote and directed, which will be out on Amazon in late March. Is that the movie itself? The film. Yeah, so March 30th is the the release date on Amazon. Oh, I can't wait watch to see it. On Amazon. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it, this whole thing started. This is my sixth feature film, mm-hmm. uh, and every every film that we do, you know, we don't we're not backed by studios. Everything is self financed. You know, my company and I we put a lot of of our own money back into our projects. I mean, we have distribution partners that we work with um, to help us get the content out, of course. But you know, at the end of the day, with everything that we've done has been has been all of us, you know, we've, we've been, and I've got an amazing team, you know, I, I, am where I am in terms of things because of the team and the support that I've had, and including my, my wife has been an enormous support, you know, throughout the years, uh, totally. encouraging there, there me There it keep, is, yep, that, that person that tells you that you can, you can do it and not putting negative thoughts in your mind, you know, so that's, that's everything. Yeah, and it's not always been easy. I mean, you know, right. when you're when you're financing films, you know, you're you're every you know you sometimes you're betting the the, the house and the farm right, on, right, right. on everything. It it, it can be very scary. And if you have a flop, in which I've had flops, you know, um, you you how do you recover from that quickly? It's it's not a, it's not an easy process. Right. And right. you know, I think the, the the lesson to be learned, I think, through any of this is just how you are able to deal with those types of setbacks and failures uh, is so important, you know? And, right. I, and I, I look at this new movie we're getting ready to release, and I think, you know, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, to me, uh, far beyond anything else we've done in the, in the past. But I look at it immediately, I go, I know what I need to do better next time, you know? And yeah. that's, you know, in terms of business model, in terms of genre, in terms of this and that, and just filmmaking and storytelling. Right, and so you just right. keep learning, and totally. you just keep evolving. Yep, yep. And where did you shoot it? We shot it here in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, we, we filmed at a, a location that was, we, we had for our last movie, which we had a movie called Territory 8 that came out a few years, few years prior. And we shot at this, this water reclamation treatment facility, which is the most hideous place you could possibly <laughs> imagine 
spending, you know, a month of your life at. I mean, let me just put it to you that way. Uh, but the crew, we, they, we were able to get a, a location on both of these films, including Alien Domicile, that, I mean, it looks like a multi-million dollar budgeted film. And we, 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 we got it because of our partnerships with uh, the community and the relationships that we do have with the county and, and the, the city officials. Great. And so they gave us the, the access to this thing, and, and, and it allowed us to, to really make a, a decent film uh, with that location. Kelly, at the time, so you, you wrote, you'd written the screenplay, I mean, you, you'd written the, the movie, Alien Domicile, first, and directed it. Right. When did you decide, I'm going to turn this, like, and how did you decide to then convert it into a book? What, what was the sort so, of genesis behind that? I, I had an aha moment, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm having coffee in the morning, I'm sitting in my front room, and I, I'm seeing my little daughter, and she's like, she's playing with her toys on, on this book that's sitting on this mantle, uh, and, and, and she's, you know, just goofing, doing what kids do. Kathleen and, and I, I just, just melted when you I know, we just that. melted when <laughs> you said my daughter. We're like, oh! <laughs> it's, okay. it's a book that's been sitting there for six months, because it's taken me six months to read it, that's what it looks like. But it's sitting there, and I'm looking at it, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, there's got to be an easier way, there's like a little idea was in my head, there's got to be an easier way to tell stories but still be involved in filmmaking in some way because I do love that process of filmmaking and storytelling as well and then I see my daughter tapping playing with a book and tapping her toys on the book and I had this idea that flashed in my head about doing a basically a combination of the two and the idea of doing a book video so where you were able to to read chapters of the ebook or whatever and then be able to see scenes from you know let's say the movie or the story itself and, and have the reader been able to engage in uh, this content uh, visually, I, I thought was quite interesting. So this idea flashed in my head, and I said, oh my gosh, Like I have the movie, why don't I write a book? Because I had been kind of thinking about writing a book for a while, just to experiment, just to see what it was. I was going to do one on filmmaking, and I was going to write one on business or something like that, you know, nonfiction. Uh, but the idea of writing a fiction book and, and trying to compare it to the movie was really interesting to me. And I immediately got on my phone and I started researching video books or books with video components. And there was only a handful of things out there. Uh, and, and I know that there, you know, Amazon's working on something right now. In fact, they actually uh, had, 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 had some interest in our studio and doing some stuff at our studio here in Las Vegas for something. And it, what, what's interesting about that is how it seems like now things are going that direction in literature. It's like the next evolution of eBooks. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. So I, I got on it. I said, I'm going to set a deadline by the end of the year. I'm going to have this book done. And I don't know what it's going to be like. It could be an absolute train wreck. But let's <laughs> see what happens. And I had a great time doing it. I had an amazing time. And so far, so good. The book has been doing okay. So, you know, good. Great. <laughs> and for those of you listening, you immediately need to get this book right away. And, and Kelly, I think that, am I correct? The best way is to go to Amazon to order the book. Yeah, you can get it on, uh, if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. If you're on Amazon or you have Amazon Prime, you can get a discount on it. But it's, it's a book available on Amazon. It's called Alien Domicile. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's a science fiction book that's based around the theory of what actually happens at Groom Lake in the Area 51 complex in Nevada. Um, and it was just something that, you know, obviously there's some, some thought that went into the title. Uh, initially, the title was going to be called Domicile. Um, the distributor had the idea of saying, hey, you might want to put another name in it, uh, like Alien, and then it's A, it comes to the top of the list, 
Uh-huh. So maybe maybe that'd be a smart idea to do it. So we 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 added that that name to it, which you know I like, kind of cringed at first, but I, it's grown on me. <laughs> I love it. I so, but so if you if you you said so, the book is sort of written in conjunction with the movie. Is there a way when you're reading the book that sort of correlates with the movie scenes, or or is it just if you have both, you can then associate the two together? You know, I, I, that's a great question. I'm almost, because nobody's actually seen the movie yet, so it'll be interesting to see what people take on the movie is, that, you know, reading the book first, because now the book has been out and people have had a chance to read it. So I think writing it, I tried to stay very true to the film. However, there were areas in the film that I wasn't able to embellish, you know, because I, I ran out of time, ran out of budget, I ran out of all these things, and we just didn't have the, the, the resources to do certain things. So... In the book, there are nuggets of things in there and even a few scenes that actually you would find in the film because of budget. And that was what was so exciting about the book. Because now I can, I mean, hey, I can do anything I want in the book. But with a movie, you're really grounded. You're really grounded in what you physically can achieve effectively well. So if you, so, were, to, if, if you were to go back and say, which was, uh, I don't know, not less grueling, but more enjoyable, ultimately, would you ever say it was the book versus the movie or versus the screenplay, or, you know, for the movie? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And probably th- th- this movie would be the worst example to, to talk about. This movie was the most difficult movie I've made. And, I, and again, this is my six feature film. And I think it was very difficult. First off, logistically, it was a very big challenge. Um, we had a very small cast, which is different from some of the other movies that we worked on. And we only had like you know a handful of locations, but uh, I think physically for me it was just a, a, a psychological. You know, you're in these dark spaces, you're in the box, you know, and you're in these boxes for long, long periods of time. And I think you get this cabin fever that's cooping you up. And I think by the time I got done with that movie, I was so happy to be done shooting it. <laughs> I was so happy to get into the edit and get out of the water reclamation facility and be home where there were no spiders and dust and, <laughs> you, know, you know but I mean the, the book was a lot of fun because again I was able to my, my imagination was able to skyrocket yeah it sounds like you have a very very go. rich imagination and inner life here going on you so <laughs> on. I, and yeah yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that right you 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 you're a real uh thinker and how do you how do you come up with these thoughts and ideas and because well you know I I love people. I love mm-hmm. observing people. I'm a people per- watcher, people person, not in a creepy way. People watch. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I can, I can, I can drive down my street and I can see somebody walking down the street, and, and immediately, I, I, like an idea or a question yep. will pop in my head about them. Like, what's their story? What are they doing? Where are they going? Who, what, who are they? <laughs> you know, what's, who's all these questions pop in my head. Right. I loved sociology when I was in college. Oh, you know, and so I, I like. I think I'm drawn plots and themes and, and stuff like that to me don't come as easy for me it always starts with the characters uh of a story and then i'm able to kind of build from there and, and kind of build a plot around them because for me the character is much more interesting and some of my colleagues that are much more successful than me will say what are you doing you gotta just find the plot find the plot then put the characters in there and have them dance around right. you know but it's it, but to me I, I definitely think that what inspires me is the, is the character right right do you so you've done feature films, fictional films, and documentaries? Which do you prefer then? When you're saying it's more character based than story based, 
which do you has come which do you enjoy more or has one come a little bit more easily to you you know it really i think it well first off the documentary process for me obviously is a lot more effective in terms of getting things done because you know it's, it's a, similar to uh some of the other you know even like some of the corporate stuff that our company actually produces for other clients you know multinational clients you know so we have you know interviews and, and digging up stuff and putting stories together with very little to go off of. When you're doing a script, like a narrative, you know, you're able to kind of craft all that stuff. So there are some, there's a little bit more fun, I think, in doing the, the non, or the, the, the fictional uh, narrative than it is the documentary. But the documentary for me is much more fascinating in, in terms of content. It's, it's the very few products that I can actually watch on of my stuff over and over again, <laughs> you know. And it's, you know, I, I can only watch one, my movie's done, when my, my fictional narrative is done, it's almost like I don't even want to watch that thing again. Because I've seen it a million times, I'm sick of it. But with a documentary, I can, I can watch it all the time. In fact, I, I watched uh, a documentary that we, we produced about five years ago on the Holocaust, and I watched it again, and I'm like, hey, man, this is a really good documentary. Yeah, documentaries you know? are awesome. And, That's so cool. I love watching documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think for me, you know, the, 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 the documentaries are a much harder uh, animal to to kind of wrangle because the story, you don't necessarily know what the story is going to be right off the bat. I mean, you have a question, and you, with that question, starts to uh, form, you know, answers. Like, I'll give you an example. The, the documentary that I actually got nominated for an Emmy for was a documentary called Dad's Vietnam. And Dad's, Dad's, Vietnam, Dad's in Vietnam was based... Yeah, Dad's Vietnam, and it was based off my father's uh, Vietnam experience. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was in, was 101st uh, in Vietnam in 1967, 68. He was wounded twice. He had two Purple Hearts, you know, yada, yada, yada. All these stuff that you would expect from a seasoned veteran. But my dad said, hey, you should film an interview with me before I get too old or I die, and I don't have, you know, you should get these stories because it might be useful for somebody. You know, and he, he always had a lot of crazy stories. You know, and I, he had photos. He took a camera everywhere with him. Um, and so I said, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. So I started doing it, and I didn't know what it was going to turn out to be. It was something that I, I felt that was like a little personal thing. Uh, but it ended up snowballing into the, a conversation about why my dad was the way he was and why was the relationship between my father and I and my, and my parents ultimately divorced, but why right. was the relationship with him, my mom and him like the way it was? And what I discovered was, you know, my dad, from, from the beginning of his time in Vietnam, discovered that he couldn't really get close to people because those who he got close to would, would end up dying. And he kept that. So even after he got out of the service, he kept that same level of distance between everybody. Even though the war for him was over, his wife, his kids, his parents, everybody, you know, if my dad would get too close to somebody, he would immediately turn away and push away, leave, disappear. Sure, sure. And that's... And it was a mechanism, I think, that that he did uh, to, to protect himself, mm-hmm. you know, from from emotional hardship. So it was quite interesting. But I discovered that storyline so, yeah. through that 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 conversation with my dad. So you learned, and, in turn, uh, you learned a lot about yeah. yourself and uh, your relationship with your father and your parents, and uh, you know, it really brought a lot to your own life, as well as a, you know, a great documentary, I'm sure. When when you were sitting with your dad during that, did you ever expect the conversation to turn, sort of, you know, to, to take that direction? You know, no. 
you know, no, I, I, I hadn't. I mean, there was one particular story my dad had told me about uh, a, a guy who, when he got to Vietnam, he was only 18, of course. They're, you know, most of these guys are 18. But the guy that he kind of, every kind of looked, the guy looked up to, he was 19. And everybody looked up to this guy mm. like he was like the old wise man. He was like a Rambo type. He'd been through several combat operations. And he was just as mean as, as can be. And so he walked over to my dad one day and he said, hey, Schwartz, he said, look, I know you're a nice guy, but let me, let me give you a little word of advice. Don't, don't get to know people so well. Don't get to know their sisters' names and their mothers' names and hang out and tell jokes with them. You know, don't get too close to people here or you're going to mess you up. And so my dad's like, whatever, you know. Well, the very next day, this guy was killed. Oh, my God. Yeah. This guy was killed in combat. And yeah. so my dad immediately knew what this guy was talking about. And it was that story in the documentary that, you know, I think really stuck out. And I'm like, that's the story. That's the angle. It's yeah. not about... Oh, what, what Vietnam was like, and about this and about that. It's it's what this does to a person long after the war. Absolutely. Did it after making that documentary? Did it change your relationship with your father, or did it? I, I don't know. Did it have any lasting effect on you in terms of sort of understanding what had happened with your parents, what had happened with him? Yeah, it did, and I think it really opened the conversation about my parents and their relationship. Right. It, it gave me a different perspective because, you know, my mom was very careful, uh, I think, with my parents, or, or with my dad, to never talk poorly of my dad, even though she wanted to talk to him. Right, know, right, right, sure. You know, <laughs> my dad was, you know, in his, in his youth, in, in younger years, my dad was, uh, he, he was, he, he had his, his demons, you know. Right. And uh, when my parents divorced, you know, my mom was quite civil about it. So we never, she never, ever tried to program my sister and I to hate my father. Uh, but my father and I didn't really have, you know, that relationship. Like, oh, that's my dad, whatever. He lived in town, I'd see him occasionally. Uh, but I think after that documentary and, and as that process, we, we, we certainly found common ground. And I certainly had a lot more um, respect and admiration for what he had experienced. You know, because, you know, growing up, you hear, yeah, your dad's in the Army or whatever. It, it, it doesn't connect. Uh, and then, you know, of course, now having my own, my own child, you know, I look at that and I say, you know, I, I, I can see how the love you have for a child how absolutely traumatic that would be if something ever happened to that child. Yeah. And, and it must be that same relation that he felt when he was losing his friends, when he was losing people that were close to him. You know, you got to, again, you got to remember these guys are 18 years old. I mean, at 18, how emotionally stable were you? None of us were very stable at 18 at years old. You're a baby. And, you're you know, a baby. Yeah. And, and so when you take, when you take people that are uh, in, in combat uh, situations like that, you know, how, how, are they supposed to, you know, uh, function in, in a way that makes sense for everybody else? You know, was this the most you know, emotionally um, provocative thing project you've ever done? Because I, I can only imagine um, how emotional it must have been every day that you were working on this. You know, it was. It was. Uh, it was very uh, close to my heart. You know, of yeah. course, I wanted yeah. to get it right. And I, th I think that's right. something that happens with filmmakers or actors. Like you go to, I mean, I can only imagine you had to go to sleep with this every night, thinking about what your father went through there, and um, you know, putting yourself, you know, because your art becomes part of you, and um, it must have been, you know, very uh, devastating to relive that horrible experience, and um, that you know formed him, you know, his, you know, the, the rest of his life. 
and some of his successes and his failures and, uh, you know, who he is. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, so my daddy, he'll joke, he'll say, you know, I almost had, like, uh, post-traumatic stress from just doing these interviews. And then we joke. <laughs> totally, we, totally. You're reliving it. It's like, uh, right. absolutely. I'm sure that would, you know, be extremely traumatic. You know, and we joke about it now because, like, when we, we went to the Emmy Awards, you know, it's, we, you know, the documentary category is, like, at the very end. It's, like, the last thing anybody cares. Yeah. It's, like, the very end of this thing. <sighs> and my dad and I took him with us. We're all sitting at the table. We had to wait, watch all these people win awards. And then when we did it, we win. But it's like, oh, gosh. And so we laugh about it now. He's like, that's almost like your, your Vietnam experience. Right, right? But how you know? cool is that that you got to go to the like, Emmys with your dad? I stress just not winning that Emmy. I've right. been sitting there listening <laughs> to right. all these speeches for seven hours. Yeah. You know, so we joke about that quite a bit. But, you know. Well, I, I can't think of uh, a better know, bonding yeah. experience that you could, I mean, you know, that, that's just an unbelievable story to, you know, have gone through that with your father and then ended up at the Emmys. That's unbelievable that story and i think kelly it shows the beauty of what you do also and the significance and the importance of what you do so you you it's a combination like we said you're a filmmaker a screenwriter not an author but you bring to life stories and some of those are true stories and some of those are fictional stories but what you give to people is a way to understand experiences and many times I can't even imagine how many people watch that documentary and by just watching it and understanding what your father was saying and your relationship with him were in turn able to then internalize that with their own relationships with people, with those that had relationships with those in the war or vets or or whatever it is. So the significance and the importance Mm -hmm. of what you do, I I don't know. I think that almost culminates exactly what it is that you're giving to people. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So we last year, my dad, so through the documentary of that Dad's Vietnam documentary, we I located, see, my dad thought that all the guys that he went to service with, with were dead. Uh, he, he was, out of his original company, there were only about four guys that survived. Wow. And out of the four, and out of the, you know, the thing is, is by the time those guys were all killed, they would replenish them with new people. And so my dad, he, he never really attached to the, the other guys or the replacements, you know. But what I found out is I started digging through these photos and I started reaching out. Um, I found out that there were people still alive. Uh, wow. In fact, the, the buddy that he was the closest to was still alive. And he was living in, um, in Wisconsin. And, you know, they have these reunions every single year that they do in Tennessee. And so my dad, I finally got my dad to go. And, 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 the, and the, the guy who was his friend, uh, his wife took him there. And the last time they had seen each other, uh, the, the guy's name was Schultz. He was shot, he was wounded, and my dad was, they were in a, in a hole, and, and my dad had to leave him to advance while the medics came to get Schultz. That was the last time. So my dad didn't know if Schultz died or whatever, but that was the last time he'd seen him. And so we were able to reconnect these two uh, together in the hotel of the Clarion in, in uh, Cooksville, Tennessee. And they hadn't, hadn't been together in almost 40, you know, whatever, 40 some months, 50, almost 45 years or so. Oh, my God. So, I mean, yeah. it's just an incredible... Uh, an incredible uh, reunion, and oh. I think my dad at that point got emotional. That was like the first time <laughs> I seen him really get emotional, right. and uh, it was cool. I mean, such, it was cool. It was, it was, you know, yeah, such such. Uh, I mean, a, a deep uh, subject matter. I, you know, when I sit there and I watch these movies with my kids, I have to walk out of the room when 
whenever I see a movie from Vietnam, I literally, I cannot sit through the scenes. And, um, you know, to, to think that your father lived that and you captured his story, it's, um, I mean, it's just a piece of him that you'll have forever. And I'm sure he, yeah, I'm sure he really appreciates it too. I mean, you know, um, you know, to have your son do that for you um, and to, to um, you know, do such an, an homage to him. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And then I think for your daughter one day to watch that and oh, see yeah. what you did. It's a piece of history. It, it's unbelievable history. what you captured. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right about that. And that's something that uh, I, I'm very happy that I did it. I'm glad I did it. You know, and so, you know, but documentaries are like that. I mean, and, and to me, again, the, the, the documentary is, thing just keeps going. It never yeah. gets old. Yeah. It's never time. It's, right. You know, and we're, we're, you get a very small window with a fictional uh, narrative. And if you don't make it in that window, you know, it, it kind of disappears. But with a documentary, it always somehow finds its way back to the top, you know. But, you know, again, I love both of those, right. those genres. I right, love right. playing in both of these spheres. Um, and sometimes it's even know, nice we, to throw a music video in there or a commercial to, you know, to lighten it up and say, okay, that was really heavy for a while. And now, you know, yeah, and then you change yeah. your hat for a while. And I yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, like what Julie just said, how did you decide to then completely switch gears and and work on Alien Domicile, which, by the way, is such a fast fictional or not, it's so fascinating when you bring up Area 51 and aliens and just the entire subject matter is fascinating. So how was it something you'd always thought about or you just sort of how did that happen? Well, you know, here's the thing. If you live in Las Vegas, you, everybody knows about it. Everybody knows about Area 51. It's like kind of a joke. You know, they use it as a cliche, but. There are these planes that fly from McCarran Airport every single day, three times a day. They're just giant Boeing, I don't know what they are, Boeing uh-huh. 747s, but they're white, and they've got a red stripe that runs <laughs> right down the side. And Get it's taking people out, out to the, the test site. It takes people out to the Nevada test site, Area 51. Um, the government just recently, you know, acknowledged that it existed, even though everybody knew it existed forever. Far and out. Huge... But I don't think everybody does. Like, I don't. this isn't something we talk about in New York, but, like, it's fascinating fascinating can't wait to see it yes so go on tell me more i'm riveted now (laughs) tell me more you know so so the idea of you know the book and the movie is to explore you know obviously what that place is i mean you know i'm not necessarily a ufo conspiracy theorist or anything like that but i did a lot of research before writing the book making the film the reason why i wanted to do it is because you know i was looking for something science fiction that i could relate to it wasn't something that, you know, fantasy and stuff, I don't, I can't really necessarily relate to that. Right, because uh, right. you feel like this is sort that, of but, in your backyard type of thing. Right. But, but I can relate to the awkward guy at the dinner party with your friends who can't talk about his job because he works at Area 51. So cool. You know, and, it, yeah. you, know, and you have people in Las Vegas that you bump into that can't talk about, literally cannot talk about what they're doing. And if they talk about it, it's federal prison for the rest of their life. So, so, so I wanted wow. to explore the dynamics of what it would be like if, you know, four contractors woke up and they were stuck there. And how do they get around their own kind of internal security mechanism in, term, in terms of national security keeping their lips? How, how would that relationship evolve? And, of course, you know, the alien's great. This is science fiction. It's, it's creepy and, and fun. I think this um, sounds know, genius. But, this like, and, me, but, and it hasn't been done before. I mean, like I said, I, I don't, I know very little about the this fascinating subject matter, 
And, um, you know, now you have me riveted and I want to know more. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing about the movie is the idea of exploring why we've had so many amazing technological advances in military since World War II. And so there's a big idea out there that we had some help, that it wasn't just, you know, why were the Russians and the United States so quick to be able to develop the technology, not only to, to conquer the Nazis, but why were they able to and then be able to bring so much advanced military technology in such a short amount of time? And so there's a lot of thought about how that happened. Now, that conspiracy theorists will believe that, you know, we were getting intel for, you know, trade. And there are a lot of people out there that believe that the governments around the world have literally allowed people to be taken mm. as, as part of that trade, as part of that trade. Yeah, you know? I would and drink that like, Kool-Aid. I, I, I believe. I'm a believer. That's, yeah. You know, there, there's a, there was a number out, I think I, I seen somewhere recently that, I, I, don't, I don't even want to say the number, but there's an enormous number of people that go missing every single year without a trace, without a trace without any level of clues, nothing. Never to be heard of, never to be seen again. Just vanish. Vanish, vanish, vanish. Um, there's also huge amounts of money on the uh, defense budget that no, that goes missing every single budget, budget uh, season without anybody asking any questions, without anybody looking into it, without anybody knowing where that money goes. And so those are things that I think are, are interesting for fiction. You know, whether or not I... I'm going to go investigate this and try to create a controversy. For me, that wasn't my point. But my point was to create something, at least entertainment-wise, that would tickle the idea of what a lot of these people believe are true, which are, you know, that the government out there, that base out there is a shared base. Part of it belongs to us. Part of it belongs to an advanced uh, intelligence. And what are these, what's the bargaining chip? What's the deal? And that's what that movie's about. I can't wait to see it. I, I literally now can't either. And we're not just saying this. Like, I cannot wait. Um, I cannot believe we only have one minute left with you, Kelly and Julie. I, it's been such an amazing night. For the um, And oh, so, everyone, Kelly, before pleasure. we have to go, tell everyone how they can get to the movie, how they can get to the book. Um, and immediately, like tonight, <laughs> we need to read this. So, so tell us all how to, how to do that. Well, if you go to Amazon, they can search for Alien Domicile, Escape Area 51 is the title of the book. Um, They can find that on Amazon. They can get it on Kindle Unlimited. The movie comes out on Amazon uh, on March 30th. So stay tuned for that. Uh, And and you can just search for the movie when it comes out. It'll be on Amazon. And then eventually, uh, I'm sure our distributor will be cooking it up for TV and for uh, Redbox and Netflix and all those other good things. Okay, let's recap that right now for um, Facebook Live. Oh, we're on Facebook Live now, Kelly, too. Say it one more time. So everybody out there, we've got the book you can get on Amazon. The movie is coming out on Amazon. You cannot miss this because I think Kelly has revealed many, many secrets that lie behind Area 51. I am so excited about this. So is Julie and everyone out there is. Kelly, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight. Um, For everything you. you do, we even said like about the documentaries, about the film that you've everything that you've done but and selfishly everything you've done for Morph Mom so those of you out there need to know that Kelly so it's Kelly Schwartz and now let me ask you this if I want to go back and watch your documentary Dad's Vietnam um, where where can I find that yeah that's also on Amazon so you, oh, that's can, also you can on do Amazon. a search okay. on yeah just look it up Dad's Vietnam it's called The War Experience of Greg Schwartz so okay. Dad's Vietnam The War Experience of Greg Schwartz um, but you'll be able to pull it. As soon as you start typing it in, you'll find it. Just type in Dad's Vietnam, you'll find it. And Got it. also, anyone interested in video production, film, and media production, 
Uh, Kelly is the co-founder of Indie Film Factory, and I can tell you what they make is unbelievable because they transformed something I did into something you'd want to watch, which is above and beyond. No, you anything. made it easy for me. Give me a break. <laughs> you guys did. You made it so easy for me. Thank you. Well, Kelly, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight, Julie. I can't thank you enough for co-hosting. Everyone out there, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Good night for more Mom Moments. You. See you then. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA health care facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, conveniently located near public transportation. For information or reservations, call area code 212-206-0440. Once again, the area code is 212-206-0440. Or go to their website at www.metropolitanroom.com. Sparky the Fire Dog here. Protect your family from fire. Make sure your home has smoke alarms in every bedroom, outside your sleeping areas, and on every level of your home, even your basement. For games and activities, go to sparky.org. We want to keep you, your family, and your community safer from fire. 
This message brought to you by the National Fire Protection Association and your local fire department. Visit sparky.org.